0: Welcome to this week's edition of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm Andy Kirikides, joined by my wonderful co-host, Keith Lasser. Keith, how we doing? Great, how are you? Good. We got a, another special guest on tonight. Uh, looking forward to having a really good conversation, but I'm going to kick it over to you for, for the intro here.
1: Yeah, um, tonight we have a um, a coach that um, I got to know when we, uh, when I was at RPI, we started, um, I was an assistant um, and we were going down to play them at the start of the year, um, really good baseball coach. Um, tonight we're joined by Ray Hedrick. He's in his 21st year, I believe at Randolph-Macon. Um, he's got 400 wins, 457 wins um, at Randolph-Macon. We've won the ODAC a handful of times, 18, 19, 20, and 21. Uh, 18 was one of their, their really good years. Uh, regional championship, went to the World Series. Um, coach of the year in the state of Virginia five times. ODAC coach of the year three times. Um, but in my personal opinion, one of the better coaches in all of college baseball, but even specifically at the Division three level. you know Ray Hedrick, we're joined by him tonight. Ray, thanks for coming. I'm super happy that you're able to join us tonight.
2: Well, I appreciate you guys both having, having me on. And uh, it's, it's uh, interesting to be talking baseball right now when there's three inches of snow out <laughs> on the ground here in central Virginia, but I'm going to give it the best and maybe it'll get me fired up and, and and ready for the season. Cause the snow certainly isn't.
1: Well, we had, I, I, you remember this, but in 19, my first year being the head coach, we were coming down and we had to wash the entire weekend. Cause you guys got like five inches of snow Yeah, and it was like, 52 and sunny in Troy, New York, which is not at all what normally happens.
2: Yeah, 19 was a tough year because we were having issues with our outfield drainage. You remember back in 18, we had to open the season at the pro park in Richmond because our field wouldn't drain. And then when we got washed against you guys in 19, we ended up opening the season at CNU in a neutral site game against Marietta uh, because we couldn't play on our field because we kept losing games because of uh, irrigation or rather, excuse me, drainage issues. And uh, that's been fixed. Uh, so, and, and we haven't had snow up until, you know, today for two years. So, um, but this might be the year where we, the, the bottom drops out. We might have another 2019 again.
1: That, uh, that 18 double header was amazing. Those uh, were
2: two good games. They were well, they, I mean, what, like four to two and two like to four, one, something like yeah.
1: that. It, like, we played a double header. I think we played both game, both nine inning doubleheader games in like a total of four hours. Yeah. Like, it was clean baseball, well-pitched on both sides, counts, Selby pitched. Well, CJ you had two, two pro guys. guys.
2: You had Selby and Roth, oh. two pro guys yep. pitching that game. Yep. Yeah. was yep. at that game.
1: Yep. You were. Yep. I was CJ, I CJ. Because we had a, we, both of our guys had scouts there to watch them too. They were, they had really good gears, just never got picked up, but they were really good pitchers. And CJ's like, ah, the second guy I think's going to be, you know, he should be good. We'll see how it shakes out. He punched like nine in a row. And I walked yeah. in off third base box. I'm like, are we facing Max Scherzer? Like, what is going on right now? Yeah. And i come out of the dugout and the scout was like, hey, um, that kid has been ninety five the entire game. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, okay, well,
2: yeah, good job <laughs> by good job by CJ." I'm picking that one up. That was a that was a that was a good one for him. Yeah. One of his shout many out, good ones.
1: Shout out to CJ Rhodes, yeah. one of a, a very good friend of this show, um, and a phenomenal baseball coach to boot. But um, to kind of kick it off here, just give the you know give the listeners a quick rundown of of you know what you've done, how you know how you got to Randolph Macon, and then we'll we'll kick it off here.
2: Well, I'm a native of Springfield, Virginia, Uh, went to high school, actually in Annandale, uh, Virginia, and then spent two years of college baseball at Prince George's Community College, which is in the D.C. metro area on the other side of the Wilson Bridge uh, as you cross the Potomac River. Uh, And after I finished at PG Community College, I came down to Randolph-Macon and played two my final two years of college and got my degree from Randolph-Macon. When I left, Randolph off making, I really wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go in. So I actually got into pro ball, but not in the way you and I are accustomed to talking about pro ball. I worked in a front office um, and worked in the minor league, uh, the Orioles double uh, A affiliate in Bowie and their minor league system. And, you know, did sales and marketing and game day promotions and things of that nature. And it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be uh, in terms of the, you know, I mean, very naive. I just thought, well, I'm going to work in baseball, so I'm going to be around baseball. And it was the business side of baseball. So I didn't really have the connections on the field that I would have liked to have had or that I desired to have. Uh, I did get to meet some of the players. Uh, that's back when the Orioles had um, Sidney Ponson in their system and Calvin Pickering and Ryan Minor, who sadly just recently passed away. Um, you know, Ryan Minor was the trivia question of the guy that replaced Cal Ripken when the streak ended. Uh, but Ryan played basketball and, and uh, baseball at, at Oklahoma before he just decided on um, baseball. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't what I wanted it to be. So uh, I had a friend that was playing at Shenandoah University and we're all very familiar with the success they've had over the last, you know, two decades under Kevin Anderson. But there was a guy named Paul O'Neill, who was the coach there back in um 1999. And Paul was a graduate of Cox High School over in Virginia Beach and played his uh, collegiate baseball at Appalachian State. Paul uh, was at Shenandoah after spending uh, time at VCU. He was on the first staff under Paul Keyes. When Paul Keyes came back uh, from Vanderbilt and coached at VCU, was Paul Keyes, Chris Finwood, who's now the coach at Old Dominion, and then Paul O'Neill. So Paul was at VCU with Key Dog and Finney for a couple of years, before getting out on his own and coaching at Shenandoah. Not the Shenandoah that we know, very different school, very different situation at that time. Uh, but Paul was there from 1998 to 2000, and 2000, I guess, maybe 97 rather, to 2000. So long story short, I had a friend of mine who was playing for him in uh, 97, 98, and Coach O'Neill was looking for an assistant coach. I met with him my senior year in the winter of 96, uh, early spring of 97, and again, as I mentioned, I, I didn't I didn't take that chance. I ended up working a job with the Orioles, as, as I mentioned. And um, when it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, I, I called him back up and hopped over to him. in the uh, in the well, I guess it must have been the fall of 1998. Got in with him in the fall of 1998, and then was with him uh, in '99 and the 2000 seasons at Shenandoah. We had a really good year in 2000 at Shenandoah. Ended up losing to North Carolina Wesleyan in the conference championship. At that time, they were the defending national champions, coming off the 1999 season under Charlie Long, um, and uh, so he had a, we had a really good year in 1999 and 2000. He got the job at UNC Pembroke. Uh, I went down with him to UNC Pembroke, Division II school, which at the time was in the Peach Belt. Uh, now it's in uh, it's in I guess the Conference Carolinas. I guess it is now they've called they've 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 gotten out of the Peach Belt, and I rode down the U-Haul with him to Lumberton, North Carolina, and spent four years at Pembroke. And then this opportunity at my alma mater came open in the in the summer of 2004. So I graduated in 97 and I put in for the job in the summer of 04, got back here in the fall of 04, uh, was hired by an athletic director who I had connections to back in Northern Virginia in Annandale, where I grew up. His son and his sons went to Annandale High School his uh, second son, uh, Jesse, was uh, our center fielder and a football player in Annandale. and he graduated the year before me. His third son was the year behind me. Uh, and he had been an administrator at Georgetown for 30 some odd years. It was John Thompson, the old basketball coach's right hand man for for years back in the in the heyday of Georgetown basketball. So this was kind of his retirement gig. He came down here and I ended up being his first hire um in the fall of, of 2004 and 19 20 years later here I am still getting gray hair and I got a daughter getting ready to graduate high school and a son who's about to turn 13 and yeah where did time go
1: I ask myself that every day I have a yeah. two-year-old and I'm like uh, when did you turn 13 like this is yeah. absurd
2: and then wait until wait until the two-year-old turns 18
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be here before I know it I know, I know. That yeah um no it's awesome I, I think the one thing and before we kind of jump off here I, I think the one thing and you and i have talked about this before and <clears throat> you know the division you know, division three is you know we say it all the time on here like it's not 13th grade it's super high-end baseball like if you want to play division three baseball at this level like it's you have to be a good baseball player but i also think too like you know the peach belt from a baseball standpoint conference carolina as i coach in the gulf south like that baseball is legit Oh, yeah. Not, it, it, like, people are like, oh, Division two baseball. Like, no, man. like
2: these Let can tell you that league last. When I was in that league, you know, I was just a piddly little 24, 25, 26-year-old assistant, whatever I was. But I'd go to league meetings with Coach O'Neill, and I'd roll in. There was Dusty Rhodes in North Florida. You know, uh, there was Mike Sansing at Kennesaw State. Now, these are all guys that took their programs from NAIA in some cases to Division two, and now these guys are all Division I. But mm-hmm. Dusty, Coach Rhodes was in North Florida, Mike Sansing was at Kennesaw state. Uh, Greg Appleton is still the coach of Columbus state. Uh, they're still yep. in the peach belt, um, mm-hmm. but it was, it was intense. Kenny Thomas was the coach of USC Aiken. Aiken just built a brand new facility that was funded by Roberto Hernandez, the longtime mm-hmm. major league closer who spent like two semesters at Aiken and threw a bunch of money at him and built him a great field. And um, Oh, it was unbelievable that league. I mean, it was in it, the and the coaches meetings and everything that went into being part of that um, organization in that league was just intense. It was really, really intense. I was very lucky to to be there. And, and you know, I would argue now in some cases that the ODAC has kind of matched that level f- a, a, in Division Three. I mean, the, the league that we play in, in the ODAC, you know, when I, when I first got to Macon, it was, you know, Virginia Wesleyan was really good under Nick Booth. Kirk Kendall had spent decades at Bridgewater rolling that. And then you had some, you know, good and okay and you know average teams but but now I mean my goodness I mean, we we I mean, we have the defending national champion out of our league and and oh there's Shenandoah oh there's Roanoke oh there's still Bridgewater oh by the way there's Hampton Sydney like WNL like you could go on and on so yeah. I was very lucky to coach in the Peach Belt for sure it prepared me to 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 be in a league like this at the level that we are now yeah
0: That's for awesome. those of you listening Take a second and Google Dusty Rhodes if you want to learn about a legend in, in college baseball. I was fortunate enough to have my path crossed with him when I was a player. Um, I had Not, one, not I the American
2: years. dream, not the wrestler, though. Make sure you do <laughs> Dusty Rhodes baseball. Otherwise, you're going to get the American dream on there and you're going to get very confused.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Google search nonetheless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But Dusty's an absolute legend for those of you who, who are listening to this, you want a little baseball history. That guy had he made a a significant mark on college baseball and amateur baseball throughout his career. So take take a second to Google that one if you want to learn a little bit of something.
2: Yeah, that was I was always in just uh, I just thought North Florida was just the coolest place. Not not because it was Jacksonville, but just going there and playing. It just had such an aura about it under Coach Rhodes and and uh and just the things that he did and the impact he had on so many people in his career. And, you know, most recently he was the volunteer at Flagler, if you can believe it. Um, he was helping out down at Flagler. Whether he's still doing that or not, I don't know. But when Pembroke was wrapping up their tenure in the Peach Belt uh, and would go down to St. Augustine and play every other year, and, and that Coach Coach Rhodes was in the dugout. And, um, boy, what what a lucky program that was. Yeah, he. you're absolutely right. He was one of the best I've ever been around. He's
1: amazing um all right we'll kick it off this first question we always ask everyone how do you guys identify players at randolph macon to recruit
2: uh i think like most of what i'll probably talk about tonight glass it's it relationships you know people that we know in the industry um you know people that we trust and that we value uh you know many of which are high school coaches right uh, having been here for 19 years having been in the state you know m- basically my entire life outside of the four years I spent in Lumberton, North Carolina, um, just, you know, people knowing people. And, and, you know, the, the interesting thing about, or that you may or may not know about Virginia is that, you know, you've got division one baseball in Virginia. Um, and then it's division three with just a few junior colleges now in the mix. You, you, you do have a couple division twos. So I don't want to overlook them, but coming from the state of North Carolina, like I did, I mean, you had a whole, just a whole slew of schools at all the different levels. In fact, division three was probably the least amount of schools that were available to kids in North Carolina, because you had the UNC system, division one schools, and then you had a a, a bunch of division two schools. um, And then you had a junior college ball, East, West, North, and South. Uh, And and then of course there were the, the legendary North Carolina Wesleyan, Mike Fox, and Tom Austin at Methodist and, and, and those division three programs. Uh, But in Virginia, it's it's the Division One schools and primarily the Division Three schools outside of, uh, again, the few junior colleges, Camp Community College, um, Patrick Henry Community College. Richard Bland has a program now, and then the 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 few Division twos, excuse me UVA wise, uh, Virginia State which is an HBCU. So the point being is the kids in the state of Virginia, you know that it, it for the most part, with all due respect to those other programs, it, it's a lot of either division one or division three. So knowing that, those relationships um that we have with with high school coaches, with travel ball coaches, um, just people knowing people. Um, uh, obviously that plays a big part in, in in us connecting with kids and getting kids on campus. We have a great location, um, just north of Richmond, uh, kind of near any and everything that you would wanna to have as part of your uh college experience whether you like the city and the urban lifestyle we're down in, in the richmond area and, and the, the suburbs that surround richmond which we're in in ashland or you like to hunt fish and, and and more of the rural aspect we'll just go 10 miles west of ashland or you know five miles north and you're in a little bit more of a rural area so uh, I think that our location you know, lends itself to to be able to identify kids and and, and get kids on campus. Not hard to, to get kids on campus for a visit because a lot of baseball is played in the greater Richmond area, particularly in the summer and fall months with showcase and tournaments and things of that nature. So relationships, I think, is a short answer to your question. Just having been here for as long as I have and people knowing people and people knowing the type of program that we try to run anyway um and 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 so that that is is the first and foremost uh, way in which we identify kids
1: yeah I think that you know we talk about this a lot on here like the the relationships that college coaches lean on to to recruit players is probably underrated from the standpoint of how much we talk about it but like how important it actually is for like there's a Andy and I did a podcast that like the circle of trust we called it like there's a handful of people that college coaches really do will lean on to, to really give them feedback and and an honest evaluation of where that kid is and where he might fit into their program, you know, because I think it's, you know, when you have those relationships and I, I think it's, you know, in a state of Virginia, I think it's a, a little bit more unique than probably some of the other states, New York's probably close, but like those coaches know the style of play that you're looking for and they know the type of program you run and when you make that phone call they might like they might tell you like yeah hey he's a really good player but i don't know if he's going to fit into your program right and that's just as valuable having as someone who's like the same person you can call and be like hey what do you think like listen he's a he's not going to show up in a showcase you are going to watch him in the showcase you're going to be like nah i don't know but the kid can flat out play in game Right. And like both, like when you have those relationships and those people like that you trust that you can talk to about that stuff, it, it like I can't tell you how many kids I, I got at RPI where it was like, hey man, like he's not gonna look good in a showcase, but put him in game, holy crap, because he's gonna be able to play.
2: That's world? like most of our guys at Division Three. They don't look great in a showcase, yeah. but man, they can flat play. <laughs> right. So it, guys it, that look good in a showcase, we're probably not getting
1: right. right? It, like we've talked about it before, like you know, you can go to one of these big showcases and you know, you could run a 7-0 and play in the middle infield and you know look just fine playing shortstop in the showcase portion and not get any balls hit to you in game and not really be able to show your ability. And you know, how many kids, especially at the division three level, you know, play better or faster than a seven-o? And like, you know, you look at it and you're like, Yeah, seven oh, like maybe you can put stick in the middle, and all of a sudden you watch you're like, yo, this kid gets off the ball. He can throw from different arm slots, he gets to everything, he can like he knows how to field, like that stuff is so like, that's kind of the nuance around the recruiting stuff that we talk about too. Like, it's not just always the metric numbers that like, yeah, they get your foot in the door, right? Like, Hey, you flash a six, eight and a 90 exit VLO, but like, you know, I'll pay attention a little bit more, but I also like, you need to play the game. You know, and we had, uh, we keep talking about it because it was a gold nugget that Billy Soleno had on here. He was like, you know, people will tell me, Hey, I was 95 off a tee. Like, Awesome, we don't play in a carnival. Like, what, right. what am I supposed to do with that? Like, that's great. Like, I will watch it play, but like we're, you know, you're gonna be facing 95 with movement. Like, can you hit that?
2: Yeah, it's a functional?
1: Play, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, so I it's you know, I, I I digress a little bit off of it, but I think that like the having that the the people that you can trust because like they're gonna give you that honest evaluation of the kid and they're around the kid a lot more, like. I think, especially in college, like the skill set stuff, I think is, you know, yes, there's nuance, I just said that, and I'm going to contradict myself a little bit, but the skill set stuff, when you do this long enough, like, you know whether or not that kid can fit into your program from a skill set standpoint. The harder part, and what you really want to get down to is, is this kid going to fit in from a, a character standpoint? Like, is he going to be an issue, or is that like, is this a kid I'm not going to have to worry about in the classroom? He's going to be all that. He's going to be at all the lifts. He's going to be at practice. I don't have to worry about that stuff because those are the things that I think are super hard to pull out during the recruitment process because everyone's on their best behavior. Like when you have those coaches, you can go to there, you know, Hey man, he's late to every practice. Like he's not tough. He's not coachable. Like, okay. On to the next. And those things, like those are just like, that's why those relationships, not just from a, a good player standpoint but from like this person knows what i'm looking for and can say like hey man he's he's not gonna he like you're not gonna be able to coach him and i think that stuff is just as valuable as as like hey like this kid can flat out play and that's awesome um you know how much i just touched on it so i'll ask the question like how much do you guys look at metrics in the recruiting process like is it something that you guys weigh is it something that it's like man we'll figure it out when you get here like or like how do you guys weigh that stuff in the recruiting process with all the data that's out there now?
2: No, uh, you're probably talking to the wrong guy because I'm old and I'm a dinosaur, <laughs> I think. I, I I you know, I don't think metrics, as we just talked about or as you just talked about, I don't think they give a true indication of how the kid's gonna be able to to manage day to day. And and with all that goes into small college or, or just college baseball. Okay. We'll we'll say college baseball, but when I when I differentiate between college baseball and small college baseball, just I know in our program it, it's a lot um, yes, the baseball parts a lot, um, the academic progress, the fundraising that we have to do at this level to be able to, um, go on trips and to be get, able to get a, a fourth set of uniforms and, you know, to be able to, to pay for our rap soto or, uh, the, the new one now that I raised money for this fall was the go route, you know, cause now we have to communicate with everybody. Right. So,
1: um,
2: I think that, I think for us at this level, you know, the the metrics are important. But as, as as you are both are well aware, if a kid's got unbelievable metrics, they're not they're not coming to Randolph Macon more than likely, right? They're going to go. There's a number of schools, certainly in Virginia, that they could go to that are you know competitive, either small Division One programs or or you know, um, or even larger Division One programs. But but I think for us, it's 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 not. I mean, we'll look at the metrics, Sure. You know, the, the exit velocity and, 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 and the spin rates, I, I, that's more the people that, you know, help me and the the 26 and 27 and 28 year old assistant coaches that have a better idea of those things. The ones that are talking me into getting a track man and the ones that are talking me into the getting the go route. And I'm just as happy doing touch signs, you know, coaching third base, but no, 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 we got to have a a button where we push and it says "bunt" and everyone can see it, or a button that we push that said shows the six four three charts, or you know whatever the case might be. So, uh, for me, I, I still like to go to a ball game and I still like to watch a kid play. I, I still like to watch their you know how they handle the adversity in a game. I still I like to see what kind of teammate they are. Now we all know that they have to have some level of talent. Um, you know, it's it's rare that we're going to go to a game and watch the you know the guy who's getting hit for you know and, and and hope that they join our program but I, I don't I mean the metrics are there. I just don't I have not gotten to the point and I know I have to probably evolve, but I just haven't gotten to the point where that's all that matters. I think that some of the other raw uh you know I you know, the, the the visuals um just the the just the basic stuff I think that that is equally as important, especially at the level like ours when we ask so much out of our guys that has nothing to do with baseball so that our program can function at a high level.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes complete sense. And it, I think that most coaches will tell you that if they have an opportunity to go see a guy play multiple times, that's ideal.
2: Yeah.
0: And that the data supplements and tells a, a piece of the story. And that seems to be the general feedback we get from everybody, whether it's Billy Slano at Wake Forest or Matt Hobbs at Arkansas, or you at Macon or, Joe Raina at Rochester, all different levels, all different types of schools that, yeah, we'll use the data, but I want to see guys play. I want to see them compete. I want to see them compete against competition. That's going to help me get a good evaluation. And, you know, it matters. Like, to your point, the metrics do matter, but at the end of the day, i got to find out if you can play and if you're the right guy for the program.
2: Well, the kids want to know about the metrics, and they want to know how you're going to enhance their metrics. So you have to – that has to be part of – of the world of recruiting now and the player development piece. Um, but it's not for me, it's not a, a, the what you hang your hat on when you get a kid in here, because just like you talked about, when you're facing guys that are, you know, uh, changing speeds and changing, you know, uh, planes, uh, from a pitching standpoint. And uh, it it just, it, you know, 95, 98, 102, whatever, you know, like you've got to, it's got to be able to function. You've got to be able to, uh, you know, adapt to the level that you're playing and it's got to be able to work in a game. So it's, it's the same thing that we talk about, and, you know, I'm going to sound like an absolute buffoon here, but, you know, with spin rate and all these different, you know, metrics when it comes to pitching, I tell every kid that comes on our campus, that's all well and good and whatever route you need to take to get where you think you're good uh, is, you know, that that's fine, but if you can't change speeds. You can't command the zone. I probably should have flipped that. If you can't command the zone, you can't change speed. You can't hold runners and you can't field your position. Then you're not going to pitch here. I don't care what your spin rate is. I don't care what your metrics say. I mean, you've got to be able to function in game and you've got to be able to get swings. You've got to be able to field your position, particularly if you're going to throw in the back end, you know, back third of a game and you've got to be able to hold runners, whether you're starting a game or you're closing a game. And, and I don't know that that's necessarily taught, uh, at the it's at, at the academy level necess- uh, all the time but that's that's what's important to me so yeah we'll have what we can have here to develop you metrically but if you don't do those three or four things that I just mentioned from a pitching standpoint I don't know that you can pitch in this program so that's that's kind of the balance or, or or at least the way that I I talk about it when, when kids come in and ask do you have trackman do you have rap Soto you know what, what you know how do, how do you develop your pitchers I mean Travis Beasley who's now the head coach at at Lynchburg was a you know 36th round draft pick in my second year here at Randolph Macon he had none of that stuff in and he got to double A with the with the uh with the Red Sox and even Colin Selby who made his debut in the big leagues last year I, and I'm not I'm not saying I'm proud of it but he didn't have a rap Soto. He didn't have a track man. He didn't have any of those things. He was just a big, strong physical kid who had raw ability and he had to figure out the academic piece and he had to figure out the time management piece. And he needed someone who was going to be patient with him and work with him and understand his deficiencies that were not baseball related. And he needed someone who was going to help him understand what work ethic was and what time management was. And and none of those things had anything related to metrics. (laughs) So it's, it's uh, it, it's a part of the world we're in. And I know kids want it and they want to know how it's gonna be used. And I'm trying to surround myself with people who are smarter than I uh, when it comes to those things and are more passionate about those things uh and 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 than that I am. Um, because I know that we need that to to you stay relevant in in you know in the in the baseball world.
0: The the running game one is the one that seems to trip kids up the most recently. I mean, I dealt with it at William Mary. You'd have freshmen come in. And it'd be like one seven leg lift, and they didn't understand. Like, I don't care that you you were 92 with a wipeout breaking ball. Like, if anybody's on base, you can't pitch. Right. It's a merry-go round. Yeah. And understanding how important that is, and and I get that, you know, pitching coaches have a job to do, you know, the, the kind of the pitching facilities and stuff, have a job to do to get a kid's better at throwing a baseball. But if you could mix in just a little bit around you know, how to be effective out of the stretch and, and, you know, teaching the kid about looks and different sets and slide steps, whatever it might be, yeah, but like, tempo, give, them, just something. give them the tools to take that into the game. Yeah. Because when they get to college, I mean, I had a I had a conversation with one of our guys, who's a uh, guy that we worked with who's on a division one campus right now. And, you know, I talked to him kind of like mid-October and he's like, they just keep, I got to figure out how to pitch from the stretch because I, If I can't, I'm not going to be able to pitch because I, I, nobody taught me how to do it. And I'm a one five and I got to figure out how to get down into a manageable range. And and it's like, man, I wish somebody had just I wish that had been taught because it's a barrier to entry when you get to college. If you can't manage a run game, you can't pitch.
2: Yeah. I mean, we'll spend 30 to 45 minutes, three to four days a week on holds and picks, just getting them to. Come set, breathe. And, of course, now we have pitch clocks, so it's made it a little bit more complicated because I was always one that said, slow the game down. The pitcher dictates the tempo with runners on base. Um, And you don't have to, you know, nothing is going to happen until you throw that baseball or you make a decision on where you're going to put that baseball from, you know, pick the second, pick the first or whatever. So I always kind of taught the opposite of just, you know, Set a tempo, tempo, tempo. Slow down, slow down, slow your mind down more than anything else, and and take it pitch by pitch. The pitch clock has changed that now a little bit for guys like me, but you still have to be able to vary your tempos and vary your looks, and and the middle infielders have to do a good job of of, of doing that for you. And so, yeah, it it is something that we will spend uh, multiple days a week uh, practicing in the fall and in in the spring when it comes to uh, holds and picks and timing and, and that nature. Cause a lot of times they'll just want to come. I mean, they won't even come set. They'll just want to roll through and then you got balks, and you got to worry about that. So um, yeah. So the metrics, I, I know they're important, but they, they are something that doesn't supersede the other points that I've, that I've mentioned uh, over the last few minutes.
1: No. And I think the thing to harp on because you're not the first guy who's come on here and has talked about this and you won't be the last. But you know, we had we had Matt Hobbs on at Arkansas, and that was one of the things he talked about. Like, you know, yeah, you can you can locate a fastball 50% of the time for a strike. Like you're an option. That doesn't mean you're gonna pitch. Like now we have to talk about secondary stuff. We have to talk about swings and misses. We have to talk about being able to hold runners. We have to talk about you feel, and same thing, like if you're pitching in the back end of the game, you have to be able to field your position. You know, it's not, <clears throat> the point I'm trying to make is like, it's it's no different at Arkansas, which is the top of the SEC, right. as it it's is at Randolph-Macon, right. which is at the top of the ODAC in Division Three. Like it, it, it's no different. All of the things are the same. It's just, you know, where you're at. Like the, the, the things to actually get you on the field and get you the burn are... Always gonna be the same. Like the metrics are great. Like it, you know, and I'm not as well versed as it as I probably could be at 37 years old, but it wasn't around for me. It was a lot, it's become a lot newer over the last seven years, probably. Um, you know, but it if you can't hold runners, you can't pitch. If you can't field your position, you're not gonna pitch.
2: There's no metrics for that. No, there's (laughs) not because like just athletic ability and and feel.
1: And it's you know, and I think like not to beat the the travel ball and the academies and stuff but it's not like that stuff's not taught and and i i always think about it too from like a from an offensive standpoint like it would break me with freshman catchers specifically in base running because every tournament you go to there's a runner for the catcher they never run right you get to college and it's like you know you're talking like you're gonna take 30 minutes multiple times a week to talk about base running like you're going to spend 30 minutes of first base on leads and steel breaks and like you get the catchers out there and they they take like a two foot lead and it's like what are you doing they're like i no one ever really taught me this it's like okay like this is bare minimum stuff like i can't put you in the game if you don't even know how to run to second base like you know and and it's things like that that i think you know especially in the recruiting process but as college coaches like that was always a big gripe of mine like and it's the same thing on the pitching end but there's so many things in this game that you have to teach and, and I, I i like to your point like the division three level like it's still really good baseball but you're getting guys that need that type of development and the patience over the course of their careers in order to really get the best out of them like they're not you're right they're not going to end up at an rpi or a vassar where andy was and a randolph making like, we're going to have to actually coach that into guys. And I think that, that kind of gets lost a little bit um, on the, the academies and the travel ball and stuff like that, with the rules that they have in place and, and stuff like that, because the pitch clock is wildly different to everybody. It was, right. it was an adjustment for us when it went in, right? Like they don't have a pitch clock in high school, like it's an adjustment for everybody. So it's, there's a lot more that goes into this, I guess yeah. is my point than what we're driving at here, Andrew.
0: I get a question around timelines, right? Because I think this is an important one because we talk about it all the time because kids are like always chomping at the bit to get recruited, right? So I think I know the answer to this because I've been on your side of it. But I'd love to hear you talk about your 2025 class, where you're at, and kind of the timeline for how that happens in terms of identification, in terms of when you ultimately end up offering a kid a spot in the program and kind of when you finish up that class.
2: Well, so as it relates to 2025, we are in the the infancy stage, if you will, of of that process. We are still um, tidying up our 2024 class, um, and, and it's, it's for the most part done. Um, there are a few kids that are still out there that you know have an interest in Randolph-Macon and and maybe waiting on a William and Mary or a Longwood or a, you know a, a, a Radford or a school like JMU, school like that. To, to see how the spring goes. Um, but by and large, you know, we'll spend the spring, um, just kind of, you know, tidying up our 2024 class. And, and as we do that, then we will really start to make inroads with 2025 or that upcoming senior class, uh, as you could probably guess, there are not a lot of, uh, current juniors that are eager and excited to commit to division three schools. Although I think kids by and large are more and more eager just to commit. Now, because that was has been the thing for the better part of the last five to seven years. is how quickly can I commit without really doing your research or your homework at any level? Um, but you know, for us, um, you know, I think that we will start making, you know, our assistant coach was actually just making a couple of calls uh and communications with some 2025s. Um And I was we were just talking about the importance of staying on our 24s and showing them love. And I just had a transition in coaches. So um, former my most recent assistant just took a job in pro ball with the Royals. And new guy came in and he was ready to hop on the 25s. I said, well, your first job is to build a relationship with those 24s, because even though you didn't do a lot of legwork, they're still your guys. Right. And they're still going to be part of a recruiting class that that you're going to be here to coach. So, again, I'm getting long winded. I'm sorry. I think at the end of the day. We're, we will really get going with our 25s, you know, starting in May. That's not to say there aren't relationships in place now. There, are, That's not to say that that we're not having a junior, you know, event at a basketball game, you know, in January, February, bringing kids in to, just to see what the, the campus environment is like. It's not to say we didn't even have a few juniors on campus in, in, in the fall for, for our football run where our football team lost in the national semifinal. But by and large, it gets going in May. And, of course, that summer circuit – where kids are driving up and down 95 and east and west on 64 and and they can stop through randolph macon have a quick you know meet and greet see the campus although it's not as thriving and as exciting as it would be during the course of an academic year but just to see the campus see the location uh you know make make some you know some contact with me um and then you know hopefully by the time we get to the back end of the summer and early fall we're starting to you know, line up uh, those visits with admissions and financial aid and start talking about scholarships based on their transcripts. And I, I think that, you know, the meat and potatoes of, of our 25 class will probably be, um, I could see us getting commitments as early as July now, which is crazy to me, because, you know, the financial aid doesn't come out until February or March of their senior year. But, but you know, I think you'll have a, a few kids that'll want to commit early, uh, rather, you know, early fall, late summer. Um, but by and large, the meat and potatoes of our of our 25 in terms of getting kids, having them on campus, having them talk to financial aid, having them talk to admissions, having them get a ballpark prior to the FAFSA, uh, uh, what their at least academic monies and their free monies are going to look like is in that probably uh, Labor Day to Thanksgiving time frame.
0: Great answer. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the context around that is important because a lot of guys think that all these spots are drying up for them. Yeah. Like the best division three programs in the country aren't going to have their class done until this fall.
1: Yeah,
2: I I know. I mean, I know kids want to commit. I just think it's I I don't want to. and It's just kind of like the portal. Like, I I don't want to just get into it just to get kids to commit. Like, I I want to make sure I tell kids all the time, do your homework, make sure that you are visiting campuses. Yeah. In the summer, you get a snapshot of of what a campus is like. But I, I don't know that I could make a decision. Uh, where I want to go to school based on a, an hour and a half visit to a campus in the summer, I, I would think, and I always encourage kids come back, come hang out and have lunch in the dining hall, walk around while classes are in session, look at the environment of the campus look at the people that you're going to go to school with, talk to a professor, I, I just think it, it's much more of a, of a time commitment in terms of making the decision um than kids really uh, allow for nowadays because it's just i gotta commit i gotta commit i gotta commit i need that five minutes ten minutes of on instagram of you know ble- I'm, be- I'm blessed to announce that i've committed to school xyz and and it's it's getting down to our level now um and you know i i i think that the summer is good for building relationships there will be some kids that will be so eager to commit and i will say are you sure Um, And I always tell myself, I'm going to take I want to just I want to do a study one time of kids who commit in July and August and see, you know, if those kids are able to sustain at our level for four years at whatever schools they commit to, because they all post now, Okay, he committed to Christopher Newport. All right. He committed to Hampton, Sydney. Okay, he committed to to Bridgewater, you know, whatever the case may be, and just kind of follow those kids and see, you know, how long how many of them actually last for four years. For me, I think the fall is an important time to, to to, in some cases, wrap up. Uh, maybe not the initial visit, but at least have a second or third visit and, and kind of wrap up the recruiting process and hopefully get a commitment out of them.
0: When you're just kind of a follow-on to the timeline piece, I think we usually ask this on the flip side of this. We ask about the red flags, but I want to talk about more because we had uh, – we had a former Marine who's now the director of uh, player development at Jacksonville state on, and he had an awesome term called green flags. Okay. When you're going to watch a guy, right. And you're there, you're, you're dialed in on a specific player. You're just watching an event in general. What are the things that kids do that you, that get your attention that make you feel about like that guy might be a fit for us.
2: That's funny. Cause that's when I'm trying to teach my 13-year-old, soon-to-be 13-year-old son right now about the importance of coachability and being a good teammate. I think those are the two things that really stand out to me. And again, we all agree as coaches, as baseball men on this call, talent does play a factor, right? I mean, if we're going to have success at at a high level, we need to have talented players around us. Um, But to your question uh, directly, uh, you know, watching kids, just how they approach the game, uh, how they play the game. I tell my son this all the time. You never know who's watching, but We know the failures that come with playing baseball, the mistakes that can be made consistently in a baseball game, whether they be in at bats, whether they be on the mound in terms of, you know, your ability to, um, you know, just command pitches or, of course, you know, defensively if you make mistakes. But to me, it's it's how a kid manages himself, uh, how a kid plays the game, how a kid responds to adversity um you know all those things i think are, are 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 important to me and of course the doubles and the and the strike out the sides and and the and the web gyms on defense yeah, that's great that that's all well and good to stolen bases but but that's that's not typically the game that we play in terms of uh battling the, the adversity that comes with, with 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 baseball and so you know to me the hustle i mean this is going to sound so old but the way they wear their uniform you know, I mean, I, I sound like an old man now, but it's just, you know, I I I just I, there's a certain way I like to see guys wear the uniform. There's a certain way I like to see them wear their eye black. Like, I, you know, I just those are just silly things, I guess. But for me, like just the way they present themselves, the way they play the game, uh, the way they pick up their teammates when things maybe aren't going well for them. You know, what happens when they, you know, strike out with runners on second and third and two outs? Uh, how do they go out to their position? And then when they come back in? The next half inning when their team's on offense, you know, what wh- how do they fit into the to the dugout and 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 where are they and how are they supporting their teammates? Like those are things that are very, very important to me, just knowing the challenges that come with playing a high level of college baseball. And it doesn't always go the way we want it to go. And 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 I would like to have kids and and, and students that can manage those failures, um, you know, and in in a mature way more times than not in their kids. And just like we as adults kind of are imperfect, they certainly are going to be imperfect. But those are things to me that matter, just the way they play the game, the way they approach the game, the way the way they talk to their parents, uh, the way they engage with their parents, I think is important. You know, I mean, I, I just think all the all, all those little things that I'm trying to teach my son about um, as he you know starts to play at, at on a 90 foot diamond and 60 foot six inches. Um, you know, I, I just want, you know, I think it's important that you just, you're always, you're always at your best, even when statistically you may not be.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. And I shout out to Anthony Silkwood for us, for forcing us to flip that question on its head. Cause it used to be, well, tell us what you, what, what pisses you off about a kid when you go watch a play. And it's like, no, let's flip it on its head. Cause it was, so you used to call it, I look for green flags. I don't look for red flags.
2: That's awesome. And- that's good stuff.
0: Yeah, Anthony's Anthony's impress. He's impressive. He's he's an up and coming young coach. He's he's talented dude. Squared away, ton of energy. Uh,
2: I would imagine if he was in the Marines, he's probably very squared away. He's he's
0: awesome. We we enjoyed having him on. But the green flag thing, and for the kids listening, the one thing that I that, that you said that I think that a lot of parents and a lot of players don't understand is that you're paying attention to things that they're doing when they don't have a baseball in their
2: hand. Correct
0: and the parent thing is i think it's so important because i think this gets back to being a good person i think it's about uh, showing respect for people that care about you and are invested in you and you know keith has talked about this before and and i think it's a great point to make is that if i'm if you're willing to treat mom and dad with a level of disrespect that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up what makes me think as a coach that you're going to be coachable or you're going to react well when I tell you something's not going well.
2: Yeah, because it's going it. to get real in baseball. Yeah, it is going to exactly. get real. Things are not going to go well. And how are you going to manage that? How are you going to respond? And understanding the coaches are imperfect and we may not respond the best way, but how are you going to respond in return? It, it just, it, it's such a loaded... It, it, uh, I mean, the way that they interact with people is 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 a, is a good indication to me of... Of, of how they're going to have, you know, I oh, don't, don't, I don't, I don't, you know, just the the way disrespecting their parents and blowing their parents off and not valuing their parents. Now I don't mean a parent who's yelling through the fence or a parent that's, you know, acting inappropriately, but just a parent who genuinely cares and and wants to see their kid have success and is cheering like, you know, uh, we would expect parents to cheer. And, and, you know, the interactions pregame, the interactions postgame uh, just, uh, you know, because that's what I, and I know I've already said it, so I not mean to repetitive, but but what I will ask my son after every game was, can you say, can you tell me you were coachable and can you tell me you were a good teammate? And when he's not doing something at the level that he should be, are you being a good teammate right now? Are you being coachable? And I think that'll carry people through life. Are you a good coworker? um you know are you are do you adapt to change in in the professional world you know do you listen to your supervisor i mean we're talking specifically on an athletic field here but i think being coachable and being a good teammate carries itself all the way through um you know i think that's why we're on this call now we, you know we've had good relationships in the past and you know glasses thought of me as a good teammate and a good colleague and somebody in the business i think it just carries on and on and on and and i i mean life is about relationships it's how you treat people and. You know, you guys were kind enough to, to pump me up and all those great accolades that our team has had and, and some of the individual successes that I've had because of our team uh, success. But at the end of the day, all I care about is whether or not people think I was a good guy. You know, like When I'm gone, my kids aren't going to care what kind of baseball coach I was. My kids are going to care whether or not I treated people well. And when people come to my funeral, whenever that is, I want people to look at my kids and say, hey, your dad was a good guy. Cause I think that's, that's, that's what, you know, that's what our business is about is just relationships and treating people with respect. We don't always get along. We get mad at each other cause we get competitive, but at the end, you know, I just want to, I think valuing people is important. So watching kids and the way they interact and knowing they're 17, 18, but, but, you know, making sure that they treat people with respect is is a big part of having a, a highly successful program, I believe from a character standpoint.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's the, it's the piece I think from the recruiting process that doesn't get talked about as much because I think it's kind of hard to put your finger on it but you know when you know you know like I I think when you're talking to people in this business like they get it and I think it's hard to kind of put into words for for parents and families but I, I think one of the best ways is you know when you're on visits and stuff like you're being evaluated just as much as you are when you're on the field Right. That's it, a good point. It, it allows us as college coaches to really be able to get an insight. And, and look, we know you're on your best behavior on those visits. And sometimes those flashes, you're like, whoa, OK. You know, and I, I've said this on here. I, I passed on a kid because the way he spoke to his mother on a visit.
2: Yeah, but, that's very true. Yeah, we're talking about just but, baseball field, but visits are the same way.
1: Yeah. You know, it, I think that it's one of those things that is, you know, widely You know, when you talk about, like, we always tell you, like, it's a veiled process, right? Like, you know, we're recruiting, what not? I'm not recruiting anymore, but like you're recruiting multiple people. So you like, you're not necessarily showing all your cards. So, you know, it is a little bit of a veiled process, but you're trying to figure out more about the kid and the family on on visits as you take the phone calls and you get to know them, like you're trying to figure out whether or not they're going to fit in your program because if you bring in somebody who's not going to be a really good fit, that's going to cause more headaches in the long run. And that's, that's not going to be a successful recipe. It's not going to be a recipe for success is right. is, is the point. You know, my wife, she coaches division three women's lacrosse, you know, she always says, she's like, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like, you know, is, and she's, she's like, she asks herself all the time, those questions. And, you know, I think that those are, you know, it, it, it's a super important piece of, of the recruiting um aspect because you know it is every every person who comes on here and Andy and I know like we did it it's we can talk to we're blue in the face but every person who's come on here whether it's you whether it's Eric Soupley or Dan Tischler or Hobbs or Sleno or Mike Leonard like all of them are like we go to games and we're really looking to see how they interact with their teammates. How do they interact with umpires? You know, how do they interact with their coaches, their parents like those are things that we're looking for. And you know it's it's not, an, it's not an accident that, you know, it's, you know, if it's continually talked about, you have to know that those are things that coaches are going to be evaluating on just as much as is the skill point or the skill set standpoint in the recruiting process.
0: I think as a player, and Ray, correct me if I'm wrong, but I always felt like this is that I'd much rather be a little bit off on the talent piece than be way off on the character piece. God. because a high character kid who doesn't have a huge impact on the field cuz y'all have them i mean you college, division 1 college baseballs 40 40 guys on your roster it shocking statement but listen 40 guys don't play right right so you got guys on your bench that just they're simply not going to play like your 18th 19th and 20th arm they're getting throw in. like, that's the reality of it. It's college baseball. It's ultra competitive. It's no different at your level. Like you have guys on your roster that aren't going to play. If that kid is a high character kid, he can help you win by just being a good teammate, by being a good practice player, by being able to prepare, by being on time, like being respectful, like that kid helps you. But if that kid is a pain in the butt, he doesn't do the little stuff. He he, bitches and moans when things don't go his way. He becomes a problem. So I think that's why coaches and you don't get them all right. But if you're going to miss, you want to. I'd rather miss a little bit on the ability side than the character side.
2: Right, because the the high character kids, even if they lack an ability, if they're coachable, they they can develop. It's amazing.
0: It's amazing how those kids usually find a way to do something that helps you win games. Yeah. Every program I've been in, there's a kid that. He gets there and you go, you know what? He's just, it's not quite where I thought he was going to be. And you look up 18 months later or two years later, and somehow that kid is a rotational outfielder or he hits against left-handed pitching or he's just a kid who finds a way to do something to help you win games. And it's generally the kid who's willing to show up every day, do the little things that matter and be a good teammate.
2: And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I mean, I value the relationships I have with all of our guys, but, but in 19 years, I feel like the deeper and and the more long lasting relationships that I've sustained with players are the guys that had minimal impact on the field. I just, because I valued them and I valued the time and effort they put into the program. And even though they may not have seen the rewards statistically, um, you know, they stuck it out for four years and, and there was just a deeper appreciation both from my end and from their end of you know, well, thanks for staying with me, Skip, and and I would you know, hey, thanks for for putting everything you could in this program for four years, and I just I I don't know. I mean, you know, good players are good players, and they and they help us you know compete for the championships and whatnot. But from my perspective and my experience, I feel like some of those deeper relationships and the wedding invitations and the birth announcements come from guys that you know. Had far less opportunity to be impactful day in and day out over four years than than a lot of the guys because you know I feel like a lot of the guys that are impactful day in and day out over four years are are guys that you know they they've got they've got some um, they got some baggage you know they've got some some issue I mean again I it's no secret you know over the over the summer months when Colin Selby made his debut that you know I mean I did probably three or four interviews with different media outlets up in the Pittsburgh area I mean Colin Selby didn't almost, almost didn't make it back here for his junior year. I mean, just uh, it was documented some of the struggles he had academically and, and you know, I had to manage it and and I had to work with his parents on it. And it was, you know, it was it was not easy. Um, and there was a point where I think both his mom and then his dad was former military and and said, look, man, we're going to we're, we're we're bringing you home. And I said, well, well hold, 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 hold on a second. Let let's try this one semester. You know, I've got this person, that person who's willing to step in and help. And certainly we weren't trying to make it uh, easy for him, but just. You know, trying to 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 provide him as many resources as we could, and and fortunately, it worked out where his parents, you know, gave us that opportunity to try one more semester in the fall of 2017, and he came in, and 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 not that school would ever be his thing, but but was more focused and managed his time better, and spent better more more time in in the training room and taking care of his body, and you know, because his sophomore year was a disaster, uh, and from his health and well being and academic standpoint, and again, that's why we were where we were uh both with his parents and and from my perspective after the spring of 2017 but um you know there's an example of a guy who's you know pitching in the big leagues who did not have the easiest path um and was not you know uh, i i can honestly say and he would say the same thing it wasn't the easiest relationship to manage um because he was stuck in his ways and he was not necessarily open to to doing some of the things that I wanted him to do, and you know it 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 um there was adversity there for sure that you know may not have been there with some kids with a little bit lesser talent, like we're talking about,
1: yeah, I think it's you know when you when you more or less go through the struggles with those kids, I think and you are sometimes with the kids that don't play a whole hell of a lot for you, right, like you feel like it's the cliche when you get mad at your team, it's like yeah, if I had. 10 Ray Hedricks, we would win a championship every year because he shows up every day like it and it's just the talent like we're missing the talent piece. But if if we had the energy and effort that of 10 guys that did that every day, we'd be really good. You know, and I I think that, you know, I I feel the same way, like I I had a kid who, you know, one of the more. It was a kid I recruited the amount of times is similar to Selby that I threw him out of practice, threatened to tell, threatened him that his dream was over and he was never going to play for me and he was going to throw him out of the program. And I never did because I believed that if I stuck with him, he like, we could work through this. Um, and he ended up graduating from RPI. He didn't play as much as he would have wanted or, or I thought he had a chance of when we recruited him. But I'll never forget his senior year. He It was his fifth year actually. Graduated with his, uh, his degree and a master of MBA. And his mom pulled me aside and was like, I can't thank you enough. I don't know. Like, he never would have got through here without you actually sticking by him and like forcing him to change. Yeah. And I'm forever grateful. And like, it's things like that when you coach that are like that, mate, like I'm that is so much more long lasting than, you know, going to a regional and 100% the amount of games that we did. Like, yeah, it's awesome. I love that part. But like, it's being able to do that stuff and legitimately have impacts on people that, you know, uh, far outweigh all the other stuff.
2: Yeah, because um, the championships are just you know, momentary, you know, and, right. and at the end of the day, it's the relationships that are longer lasting and goes back to my point about, you know, when all these coaches with these great resumes and all these wins, you know, but that no one's going to care about that at the end. It's just whether or not you were a good guy, whether you treated people with respect and you and you went about it the right way.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, last question, Andy, or do you have another one?
0: No, I think that I think that that's right. a good way to close this out.
1: Last question, coach. And this with everybody, what advice would you give to a family going through the recruiting process right now?
2: Take your time. I mean, I just I think you, there's just so much going on in the world of recruiting now. Um, you know, we've got this thing called the portal. Um, you know, and, and, and kids are jumping in there and looking for the next big thing. And there's just, you know, when you ask this question, you're asking this of probably a high school kid, I would assume, right. Who's trying to find that right fit for a four-year school. Um, don't be afraid to see the process through. Um, you don't have to commit, you know, in, uh, in the spring of your junior year or the, the fall of your sophomore year and, and just give it some time, you know, um, when you're going around and looking at schools, make sure that one, it has what you need academically. To me, and and I'm I'm not a studious guy, school was never my thing. It was a lot for me to finish just a bachelor's degree, right? So um having gone the two-year route and then coming here, I I certainly value what you learn in the classroom, but to me, college is mainly about time management skills and learning how to be a student, how to be an athlete, how to to have a social life. So, you know, when you're married and you've got kids and you've got a spouse that works, you know, like we do. (laughs) Um, You're able to juggle all those things and hopefully be pretty good at time management. And the other thing that college does for you is it helps you network and and relationship build and help you get to where you need to be. And it's all about people knowing people, uh, even though much more of it is through this form now um, for the kids. But uh, so to your question, first and foremost, find a school that's going to be able to help you learn time management skills. Find a program at that school that's going to be able to help you learn how to be a successful student, to be, uh, you know, a a, a great athlete and and also enjoy your college experience. Does the school have what you want academically? Is it going to be able to provide postgraduate opportunities for you if and when baseball comes to an end? Um, Go to a school that's in an area that you're comfortable with. You know, growing up in the northern Virginia area, Fairfax County, Virginia, Schools in the western part of Virginia off the 81, uh, Interstate 81, were not interesting to me because they were much more rural than I was accustomed to, whether it was Winchester, Virginia, or Blacksburg, Virginia, or some places in between, like that wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, I was more interested in going to urban type of schools, so I looked at, at a PG community college, I looked at Catholic University. I looked at Mary uh, Mary Washington, which was you know in Fredericksburg. I looked at schools more on the ninety five corridor, um, Virginia Wesleyan. Now nah, it was I did, I didn't want to be at the beach, so I think it's also important when you're looking at a school academically, to look at a school demographically and to make sure it's in an area that you're comfortable with. Um, if and when baseball comes to an end, uh, in whatever form or fashion it does, injury, academics, uh, whatever the reason might be, uh, it, you know, would you be happy at that school? Um, Because the college experience is really a four year experience, and I didn't get to experience uh, to do that because I had to go the two year out first, but find a school that's going to provide in other areas outside of baseball, uh, demographically, socially, things of that nature. And then the last piece is the baseball piece. And of course, that's what is typically up for at the forefront for everybody when making their decision. Why is it a good baseball school and when, what kind of, you know, resources do they have from a player development standpoint, do they have TrackMan? Do they have Rap Rapsodo? Do they have blast motion? Do they have the metric stuff? Do they, you know, what's, where their pitching coach from, from what's their hitting coach's background? Um, how many championships do they won? What kind of trips do they go on? Who's your shoe contract with? Who's your bat contract with? And those are all exciting things. But at the end of the day, if you're not happy with what the school's going to provide for you academically, and you don't, you're not in an area that is going to, is going to fill your bucket demographically and socially. Then, how happy you're going to be at said institution. So, my advice is take your time, um, do your research. Um, you know, in the same way coaches, you know, do background checks and character checks and things of that nature. Do the same thing on the coaches. Don't just jump because it it, it it's the it's the flavor of the month, and because you want you know your ten minutes on on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever social media you know, um, you know, um, whatever social media platform there is, I just, college is a big deal and it's, it's college is about going from being dependent on your parents when you leave home to being independent, when you graduate and you got to make sure you have the right people in your life to get you to that point. And if you're going from school A to school B to school C, you know, it's, 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 you're never gonna, you're never gonna fill that void and, and you're, it's just not, it's not gonna prepare you in the way that being somewhere, honestly, for four years can uh, and speaking from experience, I, I wasn't somewhere for four years. I went two and two, and it was what worked for me. But I never really got the the social and and overall college experience from it because I had to jump from one program to another and really never made the connections like you would at a four year school. So, uh, or at a program or at a school for four years. So, take it slow, relax. You know, you it, and 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 make sure it's the right the right fit. Um, In all three of those areas I talked about—academically, demographically, or slash socially—and uh, then you know, athletically—that would be my advice. And I say it all the time, and no one listens. But maybe, maybe the dugout dish can 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 be the can be my uh, source of getting that information out.
0: We uh, we're preaching that from the rooftops too, because you know we know, having gone through it as as athletes and as coaches, like I don't identify as a Division One baseball player anymore. But I can tell you some of my most lasting friendships and uh, the memories that I have and the people that I know and my path to get to where I am today had a lot to do with the people that I was involved with when I was at Marist. And, um, you know, a lot of times guys are caught up in exactly what you're talking about, which is I want to get it done quick and I want to make sure everybody knows about it. And uh, it's funny that every single coach that we've had on there has really stressed like you need to go somewhere where you have a chance to grow. Personally, you have a chance to grow from an athletic perspective, and that that piece of paper that you're going to get, and the people that are going to be associated with that school are going to help you with the next stage of your life. Because such a small percentage of guys get an opportunity to one play professional baseball, and even fewer of them uh, get a chance to make a legitimate living, which is get to the big leagues. Um, and you know, it's just such a small percentage that you got to have that stuff in mind as you go through this process so i um, glad you're able to hammer that home for us too because it's something that we preach and it's always good to have it coming from somebody like yourself who's coached for 20 years and had a ton of success and has guys who have come through your program to go on as not just professional baseballs but go out into the professional world so,
2: yeah well and I think you know Andy the the, the portal is a crutch now well I'll go here and then I can always fall back on that but that what kind of college experience is that I again I'm We don't do anything with the portal Uh, and and, and what we talked about at the very beginning of, of this podcast, relationships. The only way we're getting transfers in here, for example, is because you call me and say, hey, I've got a guy. And I know his dad, or somebody's dad, or mom, or, or cousin graduated from Randolph Macon, or somebody maybe that in the recruiting process we didn't get who went to school X Y Z, but we had a really good relationship with him. I, I just I think there's too many people that fall back on that. Well, if it doesn't work, I'll just I'll just go in the portal. Like I, I just is screwing our game up, and and it's and and kids are losing the loyalty and uh, the whole idea of what college is, and that's about having a, a great four year experience. Uh, surrounded by people, teammates, coaches, administrators, faculty that are invested in your success and your development. Again, taking you from being dependent on your parents when you leave home to being independent when you graduate. And and so I, you know, I I, I just think people really need to sit back and and do research and really invest the time to find the right fit so it is the best experience. Because twenty years down the road, you're going to look back at it and 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 you know you want to have the, the the best memories you can and the relationships that you can from the, from the people that invested in you over your four years.
1: Yeah. We have a, a, a multiple time guest, a good friend of ours who's come on. I think he got it when he was at Furman. It would, the head coach told him, like, if he's not happy standing in the center of campus, it's not going to be happy playing shortstop either. Right. And that's true. Like it, you have to take into account more than just the baseball aspect when you're trying to find the right fit from a, a college standpoint when you make that decision, because ultimately you want to say yes once, or you know what I mean? Like you don't want to, you're going to say no more often than you're going to say yes in this process. And hopefully it's once, you know, and maybe it's like, in your case, it's twice. Like you went and played Juco and then you went somewhere else. Like that,
2: there you say well, yes. I did that to myself. Sure, but
1: there's an instance where you say yes twice, but you know, by and large, like you, you're going to want to say yes once, find the right fit and, and spend the time there because it's, you know, everything you hit on is exactly what needs to be thought about when you're going through the recruitment process. It's not just a baseball decision. It's a four-year decision. It's a lifetime decision. And it's more goes into it than just playing baseball because you're going to be asked to do more than just do baseball when you're at school.
2: Well, and that's, you know, I'm kind of corny about it when kids are here, but essentially you're getting married. You're, you're going into a, a a committed relationship for four years. And, you know, when you're going through recruiting process, you're dating. So everything I say is nice and everything you say is nice and we all like each other. And then we get on campus and we're together every day. And just like when you're married, you're like, man, you are annoying, you know, and now you're accountable to somebody else. And now you have to, you know, you have to, you know, listen to somebody else and, 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 and value what somebody else says and they get on your nerves. And like, it's just, it is, you know, very few people, I know, I mean, I didn't, but, you know, very few people go on one date and get married, you know, yeah. and say, that's the one for me. Like, no, you got to invest time. You got to go on a lot of dates and you got to make sure that that person is is someone that you're going to enjoy being around for four years, because when you're there um, it's not easy. You know, all the things that we ask our students to do that have nothing to do with baseball, especially at division three, like I mentioned an hour ago, you know, the fundraising and the community service and, the academic, I mean, I don't, we don't have a strength coach. We don't have uh, uh, you know, we have an advancement office, but, but I lead the fundraising. We're the field crew. I'm the equipment manager. You know, like, it's just like, we are constantly in each other's lives at this level. And it, like a marriage can get taxing. It can get annoying. It can get frustrating. And so, you know, you got to make sure that it's, that you're investing in some place and someone who is going to be Thick and thin, you know, the one that that's going to stand by you and help you get to where you need to be from an independent, you know, standpoint, and uh, when you graduate. So I know it's kind of it's kind of cheesy, but that's what I talk to recruits about all the time. I said we're going to be married. We're for four years. We're going to be in a relationship, and it's going to be taxing on you. And you're going to get frustrated with me and I'm going to get frustrated with you. And how do we overcome those frustrations? Well, we talk about them and we sit down and have those uncomfortable conversations, just like a husband and wife have uncomfortable conversations when, you know, things aren't going well or where they're frustrated with each other. And that's sometimes harder for 18 to 22 year olds to grasp because, you know, it's for whatever reason, they're they're not prepared. You know, from a maturity standpoint, a lot of them aren't at that level. But, you know, you hope you can get them there. Yeah.
0: Well said. We really appreciate your time, Ray. Um, absolute pleasure having you on. And
2: I hope your guy doesn't friend. cut too much stuff out, you know, because I'm a talker. So he might be like, "We're cutting this. We're cutting that." I can't wait to see the finished product because it will probably be like 20 minutes of of what I really said.
0: No, we we, we let know. it fly, baby. We we want the good conversation out there. So, well, this that's is the best part so of coaching.
2: Much. This is the best part it's these relationships. I mean I haven't seen Glass in forever and and you know Andy I apologize I I, I didn't even put two and two together but I certainly remember your time at William and Mary and and the success you've had in this industry so this is what I really love about coaching this and again having the relationships with players but but being part of stuff like this and 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 talking baseball and and talking philosophy and I didn't get to go to Dallas I typically don't get to go to the convention just because of my work on the division three committees that go into the later part of May and June um, through the end of the season. So I, I, I stay home a lot. And during the ABCA I'll, I'll go to DC next year, hopefully because of the, the location, but this, this is my Dallas, this is my ABCA convention, getting on a call with you guys and being able to talk shop and, and just, you know, create good times, you know, around the game that we love. Oh
0: yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to say hi to Johnny Martin. Next time you talk to him, I used to work for John. I know you guys are on the committee.
2: He's the best. Well, we're both off now, Yeah, but, but, but one of the best, I mean, there's so many great relationships through this game, but they're actually going to be practicing uh, on their way down um, in early February. They're coming through and and playing some teams down here. We're not playing them. We couldn't get on the uh, match our dates up because we're going out of town, but yeah, the, the mighty Bates, the mighty Martins are going to be practicing here in Ashland, uh, I think February 22nd. So it's a big day. I can't wait to see him.
0: I might okay. have to I might have to sneak down and hug the big bear. I haven't seen him in a while. Big I talk bear. to him all the time, but I haven't seen him in a while.
2: He's he's the best. There is nothing like we would go to our NCAA meetings uh at the end of every season in Indianapolis before COVID, and he would get on one of those uh I don't know, it's like scooters, you know, that they have <laughs> in the cities. Yeah. he would ride from the hotel over to the NCAA offices. Nothing like being behind that bear and watching him navigate through the traffic in Indianapolis, the sidewalks, the street. It was him. It was Frank Pericolosi from Pomona Pitzer and, <laughs> and, and Paul Murphy, you know, who's now at uh, – where's Paul? He's not at Gwinnett Mercy anymore. He's at Immaculata, I think, yeah, as yeah. the AD. But, but he, if you know Frank Pericolosi and you know Martin, like those two guys navigating the streets of Indianapolis on those – scooters or whatever they are getting from point a to point b was one of the highlights of my life i think it was just awesome but martin is the best just a good guy i can't wait to see him when they come through virginia in february
0: odak legend
2: oh he's he's something man Uh, he's He's something else john martin
0: he's the best uh well shoot thanks so much ray appreciate it we'll we'll be keeping tabs on you this spring obviously best of luck and and uh Shoot, I might shoot down not too far. I might come down and check out a game. So. Well,
2: please do. I know Charlie Fletcher would be excited to see you. And
0: yeah, and, take you know, care of my butt. Take care yeah. of my former player, Charlie.
2: He's, yeah, uh, he's awesome. He's, he's done a, a great one. job just in four months since he's been here. He's very motivated and focused and, and he's gonna make our guys better. So um anytime you want to come through town, we'd love to see you and and, and love you love to you know, to host you here and maybe get get you lunch in the dining hall or something while you're here.
0: Heck yeah, I could do a college lunch.
2: College That's- lunch and SD's dining. It's 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 something you can't pass up. All right. Well, I don't know if RPI ever did that. If we did meal exchanges back then, that sounds like a Carl Steffen thing, but maybe not.
1: Uh, yeah, I think we had meals on getaway day.
2: Yeah. yeah. I just remember watching you guys practice in the gym one of the first time we ever played. I don't know. We got bad weather or something. You guys yeah. used it as a practice day. And I, I I listened to that practice in that little old, you know, basketball gym, and, and I went, man, this guy's the real deal, Carl Steffen. Yeah, that was, the um, it was awesome.
1: He's one of the best I've ever been around. I mean, yeah. you don't win eight hundred plus games, you know, not really knowing what you're doing.
2: Well, uh, like we talked about, Dusty Rhodes, like Carl Steffen, man, he yeah. he's awesome.
1: I was I was for I've said this before. I was fortunate. I came up in this game. I, I coached where well, I first started with Gary Rundles, who just retired at West Alabama after thirty something years, won a ton of games. And then I worked for Coach Rossi at Siena, who just retired it was fifty four years. And then I had Carl, who was the least tenured coach, and he coached for 34 years at RPI. Like, yeah. I, I was so fortunate in this game to come up with guys that, you know, it's cliche to say, but, like, they've forgotten more than I know. Yeah. i was even just at,
2: thinking that, yeah.
1: Even, even at this day, this, I've been around this game for 20-plus years as a, as a player and a coach and, and doing this stuff. Like, the stuff that those guys, like, and just the little stuff you pick up on, especially in the recruiting end of things, like, stuff you wouldn't even think of as a younger coach. And, and, you know, I'm so I was super blessed to be able to come up with those guys and and learn as much as I did, because it's, you know, they don't, you know, my personal opinion, like they don't really make them like that anymore. And, you know, it's, you know, it it, it was, it was awesome. Like, I I think we have a new crop of those guys coming through, right. But like, you know, I was, I I came up at a a really unique time and, and worked with a bunch of guys that, you know, for, you know, I, Rossi made fun of me because I called him a dinosaur, but, um, you know, just the the the, the sheer amount of years. You
2: know, well, that's the over thing that's cool about those person. guys, that's cool about all those guys, is the longevity at their institutions. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's what's really cool, because that's not as common now, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the next big thing, but um, yeah. the longevity, and you've still got that today, guys like Tom Austin down at Methodist. Yeah. Um. And, you know, now looking around the ODAC, Kirk Kendall was that way for 30 years at Bridgewater. And, and heck, now I'm going on my 20th year here. And, and, um, Jeff Kenny, I think, is on his 21st year at Ham City. So, you know, you're right. There, there, there are, you know, coaches that are coming up through that, that have similar type of backgrounds, you know, in today's world. But, uh, the longevity is what's the coolest thing to me. Those guys spent decades, uh, at those schools and just locked in and, and made the biggest impact they could where they, they were and that was good enough. Right. Yeah. They didn't they didn't have to be, you know, in front of a TV camera. And, and that did that. I mean, those men were as impactful as any coach in the country. It's pretty well, awesome.
1: I, I asked Ross because him and Jack Leggett are super close because Jack coached at UVM or Vermont. Yep. Right. And they came up together and I was like, you never really want. He's like, I don't. He's like, I, I never found the challenge. And This might be, you know, this was 50 years ago. So, you know, I, I, I didn't find it. I thought it was more of a challenge to, to coach at of Siena to, to find players and develop them and coach like he's like, I just always kind of looked at, you know, getting the ACC, like, you know, how much coaching are you actually doing with a lot of those guys? Like you're getting the best players like, you know, and I, I don't know if that's the best.
2: Well, they're different challenges, right? Coaching at the ACC and in power five is a different type of challenge. It, yeah. it, it, it's almost more managing egos, almost like pro ball. Yes. Then, where we are, we are very much relationship based. That's what I love about Randolph Macon. Like, it's just not to say that that power fives don't have relationships with their players, they certainly do, but it's so business oriented now with NILs and everything mm-hmm. else. It's but, but at RPI and Randolph Macon and Wayman Mary and schools like that at Marist, like, it's like you're invested in the kids. And yeah, you'll have some pro guys and you'll have a big leaguer here or there, but, but the relationships are just so much deeper because the business is limited. Yeah. Um, and that's, and and I think that a lot of times, Coaches at our level, at the small college level, whether it be small Division One or, or Division Two or Division Three, get overlooked. Um, like we weren't good enough. But there are a lot of men that coach at this level that that have had chances to move on. I'm sure Carl Steffen was one of yeah. them. Dusty Rhodes was probably one of them. That said, nah, I'm good. I like where I'm at, and I'm going to keep impacting kids where I am. Um, I mean, you could say that about the guy at Shenandoah right now, Kevin Anderson. Um, you know, and all the success he's had. And he had done the division one thing in the past, but you could probably go through every state and every level and and, and pick out guys that are just, I mean, how about the guy, Pete Egbers from, from Misericordia, like mm-hmm. job yeah. that that guy's done. And again, yeah. I, I start naming names, I'll overlook somebody, but Ross Natoli, a Catholic, like oh yeah, coaches that have, have done excellent jobs for decades at their schools and they're making such a positive impact relationship wise. You know, we could keep this podcast going for hours.
1: Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I think the interesting thing, just like, to kind of wrap it up a little bit, like Rossi, Coach Rossi and Carl, every time you talked about it, they never necessarily identified as a coach first. Like they identified more as an educ. Like I'm, a, I'm an educator yeah. just as much as I am a coach and probably more so because there's so much more that I'm teaching here than just the game of baseball. And I think that that, like, that was such an, uh, not, re- I don't want to say refreshing, but such an interesting take to me as a younger coach of like, okay, there's a lot more that goes into this than just coaching baseball. Right. And that's where you start getting into the relationships. And like, you know, I would talk about it all the time, like, this isn't just all about baseball. Like, this is about life. Like, you guys need to be able to do these things when you leave here. Like, I want you to leave here and be a productive member of society and have, you know, strong relationships and be able to, you know, be married and have a kids and, and understand like what that kind of looks like. And you know, that's it's in part why like, it's the main reason I left RPI. Like my wife got a job on the other side of the state, like for our family, it was a better decision. And I told my guys, I was like, look, I don't expect you to like this or agree with it, but I want you to know, like I'm making this decision because it's better for my family. And in 10, 15, 20 years, when you have kids, like I hope you look back and you're like, I get it now. Like I, yeah. I would have made the same decision to move to the opposite side of the state if it bettered my family's life, and you know if if it takes twenty years, it takes twenty years. But like the, like that was the 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 thing that really kind of clicked with me when when I taught when those guys when I worked for them was like you're not just a coach, like you're an educator just as much as you are a coach. Right. And I think when you have that mindset as a coach like that, it goes a long way, and you develop better relationships, and you can find a lot more success in what it is you're doing. And I'm not talking like. Not the, you know, you, you get your teeth kicked in all the time, and it's like, well, my kids are doing great. Like, right. like you still want to win, but like, right. you know, it's it's, balance. It, it's the balance of being able to educate the student athletes just as much as being able to coach them.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah. The responsibility goes beyond the field. Like, yeah. it's. I think most coaches who are in it for the right reasons, like they'll tell you that. But it's definitely there's there's different levels to and different layers to it depending on where you are, and I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all, we all talk about it, but we're all lucky. Like I've been around some awesome guys, like Brian Murphy was just like, couldn't ask for a better guy to work for. Like he taught me so much about how to treat people and how to communicate. And those are the type of people you want to surround yourself with. And, And they're, don't get it twisted. Like they want to win period. But they also know that there's another responsibility that comes with it, which is exactly what you're talking about, right? Like these, the people you're around and how you treat them and how you bring them along and uh, just matters so much.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the ones that aren't going to work get weeded out because this is a tough business to really try to last in for a long time. Like you have to be in it for the right reasons. If you're going to last as long as you do, as long as Andy and I did and, you know, other things came up why we left, but, you know, if you're going to stick for a long time, like you're in it for the right reasons, right? Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You know, good luck this spring, and we'll be following along. And hopefully, Andy will get up there and watch some games.
2: Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks for for giving me the opportunity to talk shop with you guys. I appreciate that. Hope it goes. Hope it goes well for.
0: Heck yeah! Good luck this spring, Ray. All
2: right, guys. Thank you.
0: Thanks man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening this week. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and smash that like button for us. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at EMDBaseball. If you want to find out what me and Keith do to help families and players navigate the recruiting process, go ahead and check us out on EMDBaseball.com. Take a few minutes to check out our new online academy. I promise you'll get some good information out of that. Thanks again for listening. Check in with you next week.